Hey y'all, Double G here for Fight Game Podcast and our third WCW 96 show that was originally on the Patreon. I wasn't even going to do an intro here, but I do have some news about the network. Uh, So as I've mentioned, we have one more week that we're going to put content on the Patreon. Uh, So next week... We are going to have two shows on Monday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, The Wrap with Keela and Scott, they have to postpone their recording by one night. They're usually up Monday morning, but uh, they need to postpone, so they're going to do their show after Raw on Monday, and the boom always uh, is up around that time. So we'll have two shows, uh, which means... You know what? I guess I'll just put another WCW 96 Patreon show for Monday morning just so folks have something to check out if they want. and That'll help us get closer to our goal of uh, getting the series that we've recorded already up by the time John and I do Starcade 96. This is, like, this is like the 12 days of Christmas, but the 12 days of WCW 96. But then we won't post any more episodes in the free feed until... Friday, and then we'll do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next week. So we'll be more than halfway done by next weekend. And then after that, then uh, all of the shows uh, will go into the free feed. So one more week on the Patreon, and then everything is back in this feed. So hopefully everyone uh, is ready, because this feed will be full in the Patreon feed will not be full. There'll be nothing in it. It'll be gone, completely gone. So anything you want, any Patreon subscribers, if you want anything, make sure you download it because in uh, in a week or so, it will be unpublished and everything will go away. So, all right. So you're going to have this third episode of WCW 96. Now, this is a little bit different because this is actually an interview with Liam O'Rourke, who authored Crazy Like a Fox, the definitive story on Flying Brian Pillman, the loose cannon Brian Pillman, whose son, by the way, as of this recording, Brian Pillman Jr. wrestled Carmelo Hayes on uh, NXT's Deadline show. And uh, his podcast partner, Kyle Ross, from uh, the, the, to the two of them on the Squared Circle Gazette, they, uh, they both were on this show. And uh, I just wanted to interview Kyle about the uh, about the Pillman book and then a lot of the stuff that John and I were covering in WCW 96 at this time and uh, and, and just how people are kind of cop- trying to copy the loose cannon uh, loose cannon situation uh, like Brian, though no one doing it nearly as well. And, you know, wrestling is different today also. But uh, yeah, so here we go. Our third episode. And then tomorrow... Uh, we will have our the fourth episode since there's no content on Monday because the wrap will go one day later. All right, here is my interview with Liam O'Rourke and Kyle Ross on Brian Pillman. All right, we want to welcome author of Crazy Like a Fox. The Brian Pillman story, uh, Liam O'Rourke, who I had the opportunity to meet in Las Vegas. 
I believe it was StarCast, right? It was indeed. It was shortly after the StarCast show uh, that me and Dave and Kevin Silver and Mark Madden and, uh, and Brian Jr. did. And so coming off the stage, you were very nice to uh, introduce yourself to me. And then I put two and two together real quick that you're Garrett Gonzalez. I've heard your voice before. <laughs> I know you. I know this voice. I like this voice. And uh, and yeah, we, we, uh, we had a lovely conversation that day. And it's great to talk to you again. No, this is this is awesome. And then, of course, someone who has been on this show before, or not this exact show, but uh, in the network, the boss, Kyle Ross. What's up, man? Garrett, first time, long time, man. It's great to be back. Yeah, so I feel it's been a minute. I, I we haven't talked so long because you've been locked out of Facebook. I know Facebook doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, we've had been having all these great conversations, you know, uh, in the Facebook group for my podcast, Top Rope Nation, and you, you've been absent and, and and you've been so missed. Yeah, the dis- the Discord thing has been really fun, but it has also been. We've also had to weather the storm a bit because what people do in Discord is, you know, they they, they find lurkers to kind of go and hang out in the Discord and, and figure out if you're talking about somebody. And then if they do see that you're talking about somebody, they take a screenshot and then send it to that person. Uh, and then it goes, <laughs> it goes wild all over Twitter. And somehow, like, the, the best one was um, somehow... I dislike Tony Khan because I pulled myself out of the voting for the the Observer Awards just because I I know some of these people and I just feel like sort of biased if I like in in trying to figure out who I'm going to vote for and I'd mentioned that yeah you know like last year at Double or Nothing I was super frustrated because like Tony Khan was uh, he he was working on this MJF stuff and we were supposed to get an interview and then he just kept delaying it and delaying it and. Dave decided to not go to see the Eagles just to keep this time open to, to possibly get uh, this interview. And I was like, dude, like, let's just forget about it. He's busy. Like, but he just kept saying, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it. And, and this is not a shot at him. Like, he was really, really busy. And I'm sure he wanted to do the interview. But I mentioned, I said, that that kind of makes that weekend like not my favorite weekend because we kind of wasted this whole day. And I would never want to hold that personal experience against a vote uh, of an award. And so somehow that got turned into, I hate Tony Khan because he didn't give us an interview. I'm like, so whatever, like that, that, that stuff. I'm I'm happy to not be on Facebook for different reasons, but then you deal with these, these discord uh, scenarios that, that that get out there and then you just go gosh people are really really not only are they dumb but they're also in such bad faith when it comes to this stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah. um that wouldn't happen right. if you were in facebook i just asked you questions <laughs> of things that happened 30 years ago and nobody cares about so there you go. so uh, i i talked to uh, on our last wcw 96 patreon show i talked to john and i said you know what i know liam I'm using this book for a lot of the Brian Pillman stuff that we're talking about. I, I would love to reach out to him and talk to him. And I was like, you know what? Kyle and Liam do a show. I'm going to reach out to Kyle and let's get both of them on here. And it worked. It happened. So I'm very thankful to both of you. We're going to focus specifically on the Pillman stuff because I want to get Liam's recollection, the research, and also Kyle's memory because, you know, Kyle is a, is, is a wrestling historian uh, and he just watched a lot of this stuff recently. So the first the first thing that I wanted to talk about was when do you think the when, when do you think Pillman and Bischoff were sort of on the same page about creating this character? Was it like right away? Was it like Pillman going P- 
Pillman and Kim Woods going like, okay, we have this idea and let's get Bischoff in on it? Or was there a time where maybe Pillman was doing stuff that Bischoff didn't really get until they brought him in? Like, how long of a time frame do you think that was? I think that you can kind of noticeably see when you watch the television through from the end of 95 to 96, there was a noticeable jump, I'd say, around mid-December. Um, and it's actually right around the time of the Stu Hart tribute show when he meets Terry Funk, which is a, a part of this evolution. Um, I believe that Brian, it wasn't necessarily that Brian, Brian was trying things anyway. When, the, when he joins the horse and you see kind of, he's trying to kind of mix things up and he's trying to find the next evolution of himself anyway. He knows he has to be something else. Um, but it, it doesn't really evolve much beyond that until we get to around, honestly, December. And I feel like, again, there were things going on in Brian's personal life too, with the death of Rochelle that kind of sped up certain things happening in terms of him being worried about his his own uh, mortality. And I think that he was very conscious of that. So I feel like he had the discussions with Kim Wood and we see it around mid-December, right around the time of the angle they do with Paul Laundorf, where he mm-hmm. gets driven on the concrete. And he just absolutely, it's just, it's it's not just Brian being a little bit extra wacky in his own kind of little bubble that he's in. Um, you know, he doesn't match with Eddie Guerrero on Nitro near the end of 95, where he just jobs clean. And and he's kind of trying to be a little bit more eccentric, but there's nothing, it's not that much, it's it's not, it doesn't feel like it's a fully formed idea. By mid-December, he's had the conversation with Kim, and it come, becomes very obvious to me that like, okay, there's a conscious effort to emphasize that what Brian's doing is not what we want. You know, the spitting on the camera at Starcade and stuff like that. Just these little bits and pieces that you see where it's like it's starting to come through. And then as soon as the new year hits, it's almost like, okay, we're right there. We're right away. And what's interesting is, as I'm sure you've covered uh, in, in terms of 1996 in January, that first show on New Year's Day, I think it is, mm-hmm. when Brian is like doing the big promo with Arn and Benoit, and he's kind of lambasting them, talking about how, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, Benoit, you perform well with women, you know, in the, you know naked women in the limousine, but out <laughs> yes. here, you're not doing too great. <laughs> oh, that's it. We're, we're 0 2 with horsemen, <laughs> you know, and he's doing this thing. And Meltzer's reporting of it is very interesting because he says, you know, Brian only says one thing that almost got him fired this week, which to me, I interpret as, okay, so. That doesn't just happen out of thin air. This is something that Dave's probably been hearing for a few weeks, probably right. dating back to again, mid-December time, where you see that noticeable shift in. It's not just Brian being a little eccentric. It's the way that everybody else is talking about Brian, and that has to be a Bischoff directive. Kyle, when you were watching this back then, did you, because as, as a, a younger wrestling fan, we are sort of, we're kind of like, in anything that's, not happening for the script or any inside information, at least for me at that point, it was just like, this is gold. I can't, I need to learn more about this. I can't wait to read more about this. Like, do you remember this Pillman thing as you were watching live uh, uh, back then? So funnily enough, Garrett, when I first was getting into like the AOL chat rooms and we were having, and, and like the, the online discourse there. I love it when it goes to AOL yeah. chat rooms and private <laughs> chat rooms. I will, so, so I will, I will never forget the first two things I saw the first time I ever logged into one of those chat rooms. It was Hall and Nasher leaving for WCW. And oh my God, did you just see what Brian Pillman did in ECW? Last night, it was right after the the Cyber Slam show, which uh-huh, comes right uh-huh. after Super Brawl in the WCW right, timeline. Right. And I was like, "What's?" And like, I remember, like, you know, 
it just opened up a whole new world of my wrestling fandom when all of a sudden you're just like getting because I, I wasn't reading the observer yet at that point so i, I like just getting these inner machinations i mean i remember feeling so cool when i knew hall and nash <laughs> were going to show up in wcw <laughs> but like with pillman yeah i was like oh but this is and like it just made it was one of the first things i remember wanting more wanting to know more than what i was seeing on television what was right. really going on so that's what i remember from this time period it really did hook me and it was by far the most interesting thing on wcw television in early 96 i mean it was so much more than like hogan's ego just <laughs> you know completely burning copies of the observer in late <laughs> 95 trying to beat eight trying to be eight people on one pay-per-view yeah. uh so yeah that, that that's it's funny like whenever you bring this Pillman um, stuff up from early 96. I always think of that AOL chat room and just right. like, like inversing that way. No, it's, it's great. Cause Pillman also utilized those channels, right. To re to talk to fans mm -hmm. and to just kind of hang out and, and, you know, portray who, whatever he wanted to portray and also did it on, on radio and, and broadcasting and stuff. So I, I get the sense that, Wade Keller is sniffing work pretty early. And I also get the sense that Dave is sniffing work, but he's also getting information that is saying not work. So he's kind of covering his steps in the observer. But when you go and watch it back, Bischoff will say stuff like, oh, this guy, you know, he, he's one more time and he may not have a job. <laughs> and he's saying stuff like that. So when you look back, you're like, okay, that's got to be part of part of the work yeah. but at the time you know i don't i don't know if you know what people were thinking at that time why do you think wade was so was so confident in in reporting that or at least voicing his opinion because it was pretty clear even going through super bowl like dave was still kind of just covering himself just in case yeah so this is kind of a it's kind of a two-pronged thing i think so number one it's worth mentioning to people who are not actually familiar with the time or were not actually watching at the time, which is kind of a key thing here. This hadn't been done before. So the nature of now you could throw like a little something subtle in there and the people who are more eagle eyed will pick up on it a lot quicker. Whereas it's going to be a lot more obvious because they're clumsy in how they execute it in a way because right, they're, so, right. they're so unpracticed at it so when right when eric bischoff is on the air saying yeah don't be surprised if you don't see brian pillman in wcw much longer it's it kind of it's also kind of in keeping with bischoff throwing shots at the wwf all the time and kind of being this borderline acknowledging real life type of situation that eric is doing the other thing when it comes to the wade versus dave thing is that dave obviously was very close to brian right and i think that dave having been used to talking to Brian about stuff that was going on, this was a period of time where Kim Wood told Brian, do not call Dave. Do not talk to Dave, no matter what you do. Because if you, you can, and in Kim Wood's words, everybody else, you can lie to him. Fuck him, who cares? But <laughs> do not lie to Dave because he will take it. He will not interpret it as anything other than a slight. So he stayed away from talking to Dave. So Dave is hearing what's, what WCW is telling him, which is obviously the version WCW wants out there. Right. And his spider sense is probably like, yeah, this is, mm, you know, he, he kind of knows, but he also, because he hasn't spoken to Brian to get his read on it, he also doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to commit to it because what if he's wrong? And, right. and, and in fairness to Dave, he could have been wrong. Whereas Wade, who's looking at this far more like a knowledgeable fan, Right. Is reacting the way that you are <laughs> when you hey. talk about it now, where you're just like, 
why is Obish off saying on the air that Ryan <laughs> right. Pillman's not going to be around much longer? If he was going to be around much longer, surely he wouldn't be around much longer. But again, Dave's hearing the talk. He's hearing the static that this is all creating. Because again, while some of the static that Dave is hearing is obviously um, you know, manufactured between Bischoff and eventually Sullivan and Pillman. Right. There's a lot of Pillman's behavior was going on away from what Bischoff was doing. So it's not just Eric and people who are feeding Dave. Dave's hearing it from the other guys too, the other wrestlers, I'm sure, saying, yeah, this Brian's Brian's doing some weird stuff. And and so he's probably just trying to kind of get a read on it because he's, he's hearing so many conflicting things, you know? So, and, and the other part about this that I find fascinating, and, and Kyle brought up this guy's name, the ultimate worker of all workers, Hulk Hogan, is not does not, I mean, maybe he's not paying attention to Pillman because Pillman is not in the main event scene here, right? It's like <laughs> his focus is Savage and Dungeon of Doom and uh, Ric Flair and all that. So maybe Pillman is like, oh yeah, the, that quirky Brian, like what is he doing over there? But Kyle, do you find it interesting that you have Hogan, you have sharks in the water, Hogan, Savage, Flair. And they're not even really keen to to what's going on. You're probably onto something that it was just below Hogan's radar at that time when Brian was first doing it. Now, it wasn't after Super Brawl when Hogan requests Pillman come back and do the job and uncensored because then he gets, he's like, oh, I'm going to beat this guy. Uh, So he eventually did catch on. You know, there's a couple things I wanted to go back to, like in the previous conversation you guys were having, you know, about who was maybe keen that this could be a work even sure. the the disco inferno i mean I, i'll take the heat off you garrett and, I, and, and I'll, I'll i'll slam somebody okay <laughs> not exactly the sharpest mind okay in wrestling that glenn gilberti liam correct me if i'm wrong like at super brawl when pillman had like his after the uh, i respect you booker man thing, he goes backstage and and did something in front of the boys wasn't it disco who yelled i think this is a work yeah, I think they're working. I mean, it's like, oh my god, they're working the boys. And at the yeah. time, it's because like, yeah, the way wrestlers are, they're paranoid about everything. They think the yeah. you know, some some of these guys think the NFLs will work and stuff like that. So yeah. like, they're, 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 <laughs> they go overboard with that kind of you know, oh you know, it's ridiculous. But because of that, there were people who probably listened to him and thought, oh maybe. And then people probably just think, well, he's just a dissenting voice, whatever. But Disco had the opinion, and he actually talked about it with Brian Alvarez once on FOW, where he actually just said. I knew Brian enough to where he would like, we would have these phone conversations forever. He would call me up at like one in the morning and act like, I'm so annoyed about this disco, (laughs) this booty man, he's stealing your gimmick. And like, he's like, he's, he's telling disco how he needs to go to Hogan to propose an angle with a booty man. And like, he's just like, all of this ridiculous behavior. And disco is just like, I know that anything that Brian is doing has been the result of so many phone conversations and analysis and research this is not an accident. Nothing that we're seeing is an accident with Brian because I just know this guy and I know that he's he's thinking at this at a deeper level than everybody else is. So he just kind of throws it out there and probably gets disregarded. But as it turns out, yeah, he's right. <laughs> it's a work. And, and here's the other thing I want to throw back at you guys because Garrett actually started by asking, you know, about Pillman and Bischoff being on the same page. Mm-hmm. They clearly were on the same page somewhat because as you guys were talking about, Bischoff, I was going to bring that up. Bischoff's making those comments. Don't be surprised if he's not on WCW TV much longer. But Liam, do you feel that while, okay, Bischoff was cognizant of what Pillman was trying to do, he was always one step behind the entire way? Oh, of course he was. Because okay. the entire the entire, the entire, entire thing with this 
Kim Kim Wood was the architect, even though a lot of it was Brian, but Kim Wood really was an architect in the sense of like, not to go too much down the beaten path here, but the idea that like, okay, your contract's coming up, you want more money, how are we going to do it? We're going to have to do something unconventional because they're never going to give you a chance to prove you're worth more. Right. Why would they, especially when your contract's coming up? So the whole point was, okay, look at what Bischoff's doing. Look at Look at Eric and how far overboard, to your point, Garrett, before where... He's, you know, he really wants it to be known that he's the one who's kind of, you know, stirring the drink here in WCW and kind of shaking the industry up with 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 Nitro going up against Raw and some of the things he's doing. And the whole idea was get in tight with him, and together let him feel like you guys, you you, know, you and Bischoff are pulling this rib on the boys. Because he knew that Bischoff, it was more important to Bischoff to be seen as the mastermind, the manipulator, the guy who wanted things to be kept a secret. And of course, the entire thing was well. Brian, if you do that, you're going to get so much leeway and you can create so much talk and myth around yourself that, oh, by the way, your contract's coming up in April and all of a sudden you're the highest guy in the business accidentally. Because again, time and place is super important here. The you know, ECW was getting a lot of underground buzz. We mentioned the internet and AOL. That's starting to kind of percolate. That's kind of there. It was never easier for kind of like real world wrestling stuff to kind of become knowledge or at least kind of amongst an underground of people you know your ecw being chanted at king of the ring 95 and things like this are happening which are kind of again against the grain and it's like okay so with all of this going on we can kind of manipulate the situation because again as, as kim said i think he said this on dark side of the ring as well in many ways wrestling runs on very artificial things because right. it's not bischoff's company so really bischoff it's attention, it's credit, it's plaudits. That's kind of so that he can go and say, look what we're doing. Of course, he wants to turn, you know, he wants a good bottom line as well. So he can report that back and everything like that, of course. But in terms of his own personal interest, his own personal interest is like, okay, being able to turn the books around, of course, but also the gratification of feeling like the boss. And his Kim Wood's belief and Brian's belief too was that Eric was a mark for himself. And as right. a result, if, if he's a mark for himself, you are basically waving a red flag that you can be messed with because, <laughs> you, 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 hey, Eric, it's really important that people think you're special. Well, here's a way to really convince me you're special. Show everyone how much smarter you are than everybody else by pulling this trick on them with Brian Pillman who has all these ideas and it's going to be great. And all these people in the underground who you don't like that they know stuff, you're going to fool all of them. It's going to be great. Meanwhile, this underground of, of wrestling talk is all talking about how awesome Brian Pillman is, and it makes him feel like the hottest guy in the business at a time. And it's key to note, while the Midnight War was picking up, and, and business in both companies did pick up at the start of 96, both companies are really still looking for the thing that's going to pull them ahead. So right. anything that gets that kind of talk going, it was like the perfect time to pull this play. But of course, Eric was indeed one step behind. Yeah, And don't forget, he let Brian go willingly. For his podcast, one of the most incredible <laughs> things. I mean, think of th think of the, all the ground this covers, uh, Garrett. I mean, you know more than anybody how many wrestling podcasts there are out there. Yes, I have never heard a more galling comment on any <laughs> wrestling podcast ever than when Eric Bischoff comes. He willingly let Pillman <laughs> sign with WWE. Shameful, shameful, yeah. shameful, amazing, shameful. Uh, so, so you 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 mentioned the name uh, of Kim Woods. Now, for your book. I imagine you and Kim talked for hours on hours about this because, I mean, I, I, I've done an interview with, with Kim before. And, 
<laughs> that dude, that dude just he was like, Hey, I'll I'll go forever if you want. Like, we don't even have to ever go to sleep. Like we'll, and which when you're an interviewer, that's like the perfect guest. Now, you know, we all I also have a day job, so I couldn't really sit there for four hours with him, but he was he was mesmerizing his recollection, his understanding of business and not even being a pro wrestler himself but just understanding everything what 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 is your thought on on kim and and how smart he was about this stuff oh he's a genius he's an absolute genius you could talk to him all day i loved talking to kim wood he's such a smart guy on so many different subjects and i did i called him up and talked to him several several times for several several hours i think the yeah. total i think i probably clocked in like 30 hours of discussions with him but like it was it was going over so many different things to do with brian to do with the business to do with stuff that was going on the, the, the mental aspect of of the kind of the dominance games and the manipulation that was going on in the business with between promoters and wrestlers and all of these aspects and yeah he was he was critical because he was also one of the very first people i spoke to as part of the process so having him say okay you need to know this and also the one thing i'll say about kim too his story has never ever changed on any of this stuff. Like I've listened to Kim talk about things from like 10, 15, 20 years ago regarding Brian and it's never changed. And I always see that as a great sign of credibility for anybody. Yeah. As opposed to somebody Absolutely. who can't remember anything mm-hmm. from that period of time, by the way. Because he's not trying to put it. himself over also. <laughs> like, you know, he's trying, oh, yeah. he's, he's explaining the thing, but he doesn't really get anything out of it by making his part of the story bigger. Like it's the, like, so, you know, unlike, you know, Mr. Bischoff, who yeah. is trying to change the wrestling history yeah. with his podcast, yeah. you know, Kim's just like, this is what happened because we, we were just smarter than everybody else. Well, I, I don't need to, I don't need to make us make me look smarter. Like everyone knows I was just, I, I was ahead of the game. So that that's the cool part about yeah. Kim. But did you guys, um, I'm sure you saw it, but Kim was also uh, all over dark side when, when they covered Brian Kyle, did, w- what did you think about Kim when you saw him on, uh, on, you know, on that thing? Cause just, I thought he was brilliant on that thing too. I'm glad you threw that to me like that. I didn't want to, because I didn't want to pivot away from this conversation. I think, and I'm interested to hear both your guys' answers to this. The key with Kim Wood and his frankness is, unlike virtually everyone else who has interviewed for these wrestling documentaries, Kim Wood doesn't care about what people <laughs> in these promotions think about him. He has his own life. He, his livelihood is not tied to the pro, the various professional wrestlers. He doesn't have to eat from the Vince McMahon coffers, if you will. He, he, no. he doesn't have to, like, toe a line. He can just say what he wants, and people w- within wrestling can be mad at him, and he doesn't care. He's going to go off his life. And I think that is so key, um, assuming that's something Liam picked up on while interviewing him, that he just doesn't he just doesn't care what people inside wrestling think. He was the closest to Brian during this period, so he's going to give you the unfiltered viewpoint, and that's what you get with Kim Wood. I, yeah, he was tremendous on those dark side of the rings. I mean, what was the famous quote that he had uh, about Vince that everyone... God, I can't... Think. What do you do with a whore? Yes! <laughs> yes what do you do with a whore? That's exactly it. Um, Which I yeah. think came from Arthur Jones, and Arthur Jones is a key part of the Kim Wood story because... Is that the, the book? Uh, Nautilus, no, Nautilus. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Arthur Jones, who like basically, as as Kim said to me, I could tell you stuff about Arthur Jones. That guy was a bad, bad dude. And after <laughs> being around that world and the world of bodybuilding and stuff like that and weightlifting, he's like Vince McMahon and these wrestling characters are such low level carnies that I just don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, 
I'm not going to pander to them because I don't really respect their level of carnydom, you know? So, like, because of that, and again, he can just be, like you say, he has no stake in the game. He can just be as frank as he wants to be, and, and he, he kind of sees it for what it is, which is over. Yeah, it was, like, the easiest person to con is the con man. Like, that was kind Absolutely. of his mentality, right? That's the, uh, again, so, that's, that's an Arthur Jones line as well. Um. I want to read this to you guys. I, I can't remember if I got this from The Observer. This may be from Liam's book. It was either from The Observer or from Liam's book. I'm going to read it. I'll, I'll quickly read it. I just want your... Kyle, I just want your like instant reaction to, to what I'm about to read. Okay. Uh, at about midnight at the uh, Orlando Residence Inn, a woman was thrown out of her room naked in 20-degree weather while the guy in the room barricaded himself in the attack and the SWAT team had to come and tear gas him out, they had to evacuate all the rooms while this was going on, which included both WCW wrestlers and officials. Apparently, the scene was almost directly out of a bizarre movie with Pillman and Disco Inferno in character saying that the horsemen were there to save the day <laughs> and him having everyone so confused as what to make of him had people believing he was actually going to try and apprehend the guy himself, which he didn't do. Although we've got reports that after the guy was apprehended, that Pillman kept giving him the four finger horseman signal. <laughs> and I think he even talked the cops into letting him take a, a picture with the guy. As they, they took him out. Okay. Instant reaction to, to that, like, level of just ridiculousness. N nobody would go that far. Hey, nobody <laughs> would go that far today, I feel, because everyone's just accepted it's all nonsense and why even do that? Um, maybe I MJF. I don't know if you saw the press conference yeah, from the yeah, AEW yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, but still, I mean, I don't know. You, you, you see the stuff that he did. He, I mean, even the, at Double or Nothing. Like when, like he was convincing. Okay, and we're going to get to that. I, I'm okay. glad you brought that up. We're okay. going to get to that. But, but I, I don't. I, Pillman, what he was doing was it was a completely different level. Obviously, I mean the the chaining himself, the rumors that he was going to chain himself to the goalpost at the Super Bowl. I mean, it was just a level that you know no one has he, ever tried since. He was thinking so big picture, and like anything like that came along that happened to be an opportunity. Uh, for him to kind of manipulate the situation so that he could actually, again, all the guys are in one place. When the NAPTI convention. The NAPTI convention, same thing, you know, and it's like, what are these little opportunities? And again, he's just, he had been on such, you know, the Rochelle death that we'd mentioned uh, you know, in passing previously, yes. the escapism issue of this is kind of a fascinating sidebar to this story because Kim Wood, when Kim's saying, okay, you want to be a con man, then this is what you need to read. This is what you need to watch. This is what you need to, to study. And Brian went into all of that. He was reading books, watching movies that were to do with con man culture, con, you know, con man psychology, the history of cons and, and, and some of the, the big plays that used to be done. And so he's like engaging his brain 24 seven in any opportunity that comes up. I need to be the one who's a step ahead of everybody and thinking about how at all times I can advance my end game for what I'm trying to do right now. So when you get this thing where Brian Pillman isn't just taking a picture of Vincent Mann at the Napti convention, which is with, with him hugging him, which is hilarious and great. He's immediately sending, he's immediately faxing it to Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer. So that again, in, in Kim's words, we will provide the pearls. They have to provide the string and they can, they can figure out what's kind of going on on their own, but we are going to be the ones we're going to take the play to them, which is a, it was a, a Buzz Sawyer story dating back to 1989 <laughs> in Japan, which, um, when I don't know if you, it's in the book, but it's a, it's a story when when Buzz Sawyer kind of accidentally teaches Brian about working people essentially and being and kind of half being in character, 
and it, it goes it's like a taxi they, they get a taxi in japan and but sawyer was like brian here in japan you need to be really nice to all the japanese people especially the drivers the cab drivers because they can screw with you if you don't and then they get in the car together and Buzz Sawyer immediately starts cutting this promo on the on the cab driver just to pop brian talk about you motherfucker take me <laughs> and it's just like and it's just like and he goes and kim wood was like i think that really taught brian something in the sense that you take the play to them you you let them be reactionary you act first let them react to you and then you're reacting to them reacting to you and that that kind of allows brian to steer the ship that's that's amazing okay so let's bring it back full circle i i mentioned this double or nothing situation where there was some chaos involved and mjf skips the fan uh autograph signing the meet and greet and we were there and we were trying to figure out what was going on was this real did he really skip it to to kind of shove it to, to Tony Khan? Or was Tony Khan in on this of trying to make it seem like MJF was, you know, possibly leaving or frustrated? And there's this plane ticket that supposedly existed or, <laughs> or not. Uh, and whether he was leaving right after the match, he Wardlow beats him really, really quickly. Not not quickly, but really decisively. And Wardlow's like on top of the world. And MJF is just, all right, guys, see you later. And so... All of this was kind of, I think it, they wanted it to be a little bit out of the, the Pillman playbook. But can't, you can't do that today because there are so many people who are in, instantly calling work on every possible thing that you could do. Like, could, is there a possibility that someone could could do something like that today, you think, Liam? I think it's interesting that you say that in that way because I actually think in – even though your point is is noted and it is correct at the same time i think it's also never been easier to manipulate this media in the sense that there is such an assumption of knowledge now based on the things that you see and absorb from the main players when it comes to reporting stuff and we've seen it before when if people say something it's very easy for it to get around I mean, there, there have been instances, again, I'm, I'm not trying to like throw anybody in the bus or, or mention any names, but like even in recent weeks where somebody will say there's a story here and as it turns out, there, there really isn't a story. But right. just having that story out there in fans' minds, it's, it's, easy to, it's not necessarily easy to convince them, to your point, Garrett, and I do think that's correct, but it's easier to float things out there than it's ever I think been. so. I think, you're, I think you're right. Kyle, you... Do a podcast, wrestling podcast, yep. you yep. hear stuff, people tell you stuff. Like, do you agree with what Liam said? So I think the important thing to understand is, as my daughter was being very sneaky there and tiptoeing by me, <laughs> I'll, with I'll have a talking to her later. But um, what Pillman did, and, and Liam would agree with this, his ultimate goal was just to get more money. He wasn't yep. trying to draw money for WWF or WCW. He was just trying to get more money for himself. M- and MJF's I, reason too, right? To yes, do whatever he's doing. Yes, and that and that's the key. If you're the promoter, it's actually, I don't want to say it's pointless, but maybe it is to like do this with what you're got because it, it's never been shown to necessarily draw money for a promotion. It might help raise the stock for the individual who's doing it. Like if you're MJF and you're just looking to get more money, then okay, sure, try it, do it. Get out with your bad self. But I think that's got to be something that all current wrestlers who try to emulate Pillman 
whether you're doing consciously or not, need to understand you're not really going to draw money for the promotion. If you're trying to draw money for yourself contract-wise, okay, you could try it, but it, it's it's never been a real winner at the box office promotion-wise. But we are back in an era where leverage and free agency yes. is important again. And so you have, you know, if MJF is looking at WWE or whatever, you know, three or four years ago, he's probably not on the radar at all because of his size, because, you know, he's not really super well known. But now, four years later, he's definitely on their radar. So he has raised his worth and his value like two or three times that what it, what it would have been without yeah. the way that he's gone yeah. about it so far. So it's really smart. Yeah. I just wonder, is, is this a situation where he can do this in the same way, or do we believe that it's him and Tony Khan? Because that's what I believe is it's him and Tony oh, Khan. Oh, yeah. I, I, okay, so I think Tony was certainly working in concert with him, but he, here's the thing, to my point, I wonder if you guys agree. First of all, I think MGF probably got a sweet deal already, and he's probably already benefited financially, personally, from what he was doing. But I don't think it necessarily benefited AEW on screen. I actually it, thought it killed it, their business. I thought it was the start of something that um, really needs to be talked about when you talk about AEW over the last 12 months. When MJF went out there and he cut that promo on Tony and called him a mark and stuff, that was the first time that AEW did not come across as the babyface promotion to yep. me. And, and, and that's where, as I think as a promoter, Tony trying to bring that drama on screen, it was a mistake and it was very needless from, from his perspective. If MJF has already been compensated and has gotten a, a, a a nice contract for himself, then okay, he did what he needed to do for himself. But I don't think that angle benefited AEW in any way. As a matter of fact, I think it actually hurt the promotion in multiple ways. It hurt Wardlow. Wardlow, Wardlow last yeah. night uh, at Revolution was asked about his his mm. lack of... He, he was dead to this crowd last night. Now, they were... Well, that was, it was a tough spot, yeah. Tough spot, tough spot for sure. The crowd was more into Samoa Joe. Uh, and, you know, I go back to that Double or Nothing show... And he's over like gangbusters to last night. And I was like, this is like a, it's a different human almost well, in the reaction. Well, it, it, it it's the vintage Hogan thing, right, Liam? It's like uh, with MJF, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to make it all about myself. On the story. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, having said that, though, having said that, just, to, just to, on that point, I, because I do think that there is as much as that may be a factor, I actually think, because when that match was over, and they showed a little bit the thing on the wall. Wardlow is all elite. Everybody went crazy like it was real. So yeah, it's like, yeah. I, it was like, okay, well, I, I, to some degree, this still works. I honestly think, even though Wardlow's big moment did end up becoming about MJF to some degree to some people, I actually think far more damaging to Wardlow personally was the fact they had nothing to follow it up with. They the TNT title thing with Scorpio Sky was yeah, and, and when he was TNT champion, he was doing like nothing for weeks of any note, and that flattened him out huge because when you are a guy like Wardlow and this isn't meant to, to knock him because I think he's talented but like his entire momentum was built around the push it's the it's the it's the it's the, it's yes. the monster heel it's the turn on MJF it's like if Batista turns on Triple H and then he starts working with like Snitsky or something like that JBL. and, and <laughs> yeah 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 yes and if you give Dave Batista a, a catchphrase 
Uh, that sounds a little bit like Elmo's world instead yeah. of, uh, you know, la, 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 Wardlow's world. <laughs> like, that was terrible. Can you? Yeah. I, well, I, just, I, I was just. I, I, it's a different podcast for a different day. I actually think Wardlow is not someone who I would have, like, holding a singles title. I actually just don't think that's the right role for him, personally, even if he, even if he was really over. I, I, but to bring it back to the Pillman-MJF discussion, I, I just think that. And, and make it about AEW in the modern sense. I just thought when they had MJF cut that promo call on Tony and Mark and yeah, making Tony absolutely. sound dumb and bad, I thought that was bad. I, I thought that was something they should not have done. And what was the what what was that leading to? It was leading to this fake Vince McMahon Bret Hart scenario where MJF has got him on tape saying, "Okay, you know, you got me. Whatever. Here's your contract." That that payoff was not worth no. what they did. Like I think in Tony's mind, it was probably this great, cool story for the hardcore fan, but it just made it look like, uh, you know, the 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 end result, and you know, the CM Punk thing, like all that stuff. That, that but this, contribute. This, this kind of <laughs> this kind of got it started, and then it just cascaded from from there with a bunch of things that should have probably been controllable, but ultimately were didn't. I guess they weren't controllable. The- yeah, the, the, there is an alternate universe out there somewhere where if CM Punk doesn't get injured and doesn't fly off the handle, I wonder what MJF's value would be right now. Because when he came back, they that crowd did treat him like he was an absolute superstar. Yeah. And the fact that like in the fallout of what happened that evening, the company felt quite flat for a couple of months as they try and regain their footing and MJF's the face of a flat flatter company, yeah. that that like it, it undid the work they did anyway. So even if it did work, which we don't know that it would have, but even if it had done, it wouldn't have in that scenario anyway. But guys, this is fascinating. Um, the Pillman story still has a lot to be told in in '96. At some point, if you guys have an open schedule, would love uh, I would love to discuss the, the the rest of of this and <laughs> and go for it. Just one final question: Did Shane Douglas ruin this all, Liam? What he said he's shooting at Cyberslam. He's shooting. He's shooting. <laughs> <laughs> was that what everybody figured it out? Or what? <laughs> well, no. The, the thing, the thing that like tip Meltzer off was the Sullivan promo on Saturday night. Uh, the, right? the pencil, right? Yeah, the pencil, pencil one where there's yeah, like yeah, an yeah, in-depth yeah, yeah, promo yeah. where Sullivan holds the pencil to the camera and breaks it, and he's like, "Now we got that." the way like uh you want to you want to be a free agent you come to you know yeah, come to Super yeah. Bowl, i'll make you a free agent and dave's like well fuck like, <laughs> <laughs> who, who are we getting now like yeah, yeah. amazing Jesus. awesome no I, I i love this stuff um and uh we'll we'll put the I, i'm liam has sold a bunch of copies of this but if anybody does not have this book like this is um this is one of your must read pro wrestling books uh, of all pro wrestling books and honestly I'm trying to think now there have been some good books that have come out. I haven't read the Sheik one. I know that one has, is people love that book, but I'm not sure there's been a, as good of a one since yours has come out. Thank you. Uh, You know, some of the JR stuff is fun, but it's just JR, you know, like just, just the actual research and the dedication and all that stuff. So uh, I, I really, I really, really love this book. An observer award winning book. Dave called it the best one he'd ever read. There you go. Yeah, checks in the mail, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 